You're listening to the Theology of Music podcast, the only podcast where we unpack the good and sometimes bad theology and the songs that we sing. My name is Pastor Joel. What if I had like a... <laughs> wow, someone, a lot of people just turned this whole thing off. It's like I'm but you know what? I'm not getting rid of it this time. We're owning this. Okay. Because this, this, in this episode, you're driving the ship. Uh, welcome again Yikes. to the Theology of Music podcast. We're so happy you're here. Cliff Lambert is here again, or if if you're looking on Facebook, Cliff mm, and uh, <laughs> and Brenda and Brenda and mm, Brenda. Mm, Brenda. They do the shared Facebook. I'm not judging. Uh, Thank you, because we get judged all the time. Yeah, I won't add to that huge pile of judgment. So anyway, yeah. thanks again for being here, guys. Thanks again, Cliff, for being here. You're so welcome. happy to have you again. It's great to be here. Uh, Cliff has uh, has been on the podcast for a couple episodes now. He uh, was on the last podcast where we unpacked Waymaker. But today we're going to unpack the song Graves into Gardens by Elevation Worship. It was written specifically, though, by Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation. Chris Brown, who, like I've said before, he's the main worship leader there. Tiffany Hammer and Brandon Lake, and it was released recently. Yeah, within the last four months. Right, and because uh, it's also the name of the album that they released, so it's kind of the the, the signature song. What do, what do you call that? I d- I'm blanking right now. When the song is the name of the album, it's the. Oh, I don't. Rem- I don't know. Wow. Okay. Cool. Great. Sorry. I look like an idiot. I blank too. <laughs> That's great. Well, <laughs> we're both idiots. Mm, nothing. Nothing new there. <laughs> All right. So. Um, I'm opening the floor to you, Cliff. This one was one yeah. that you wanted to talk about, so why don't you take it? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I see on social media people, you know, pa- worship pastors after worship pastors that are putting this into their song lists mm-hmm. and saying what a great song it is, and and so I thought, hmm, I'm going to look into this and see. Uh, and the first thing that you notice, I mean, obviously, is musically. Musically, the very the first thing I noticed is that it has this kind of really cool, unique Southern rock feel mm-hmm. to it. Which I think for a, a music person, and you're looking for something that's different in your worship right. service, that's going to be very attractive. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's kind of got a cool feel to it, and it's fairly singable. Um, but you got to look at it deeper than that, right? What are the three things that that we look at? Oh, Cliff, you did know you them. just check out? I didn't. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I got a text. Uh, they are congregationally friendly, Christ exalting. And gospel center, but we're not going to look at that yet. I know, Cliff. I know. We'll pull it out later. Okay, okay. But so he's going off the cuff so here. I know. I am. You told me I could take charge, right? <laughs> I did. Oops. So great power. So to start off in the first verse, I mean, it starts off great. I searched the world, but I it couldn't fill me. That's true. I mean, true, yeah. there's nothing about this world that could ever fill us. Man's empty praise, treasure that fade, um, are never enough. Mm-hmm. Then you came along. Here we go. That and reminds me of uh, like "Be Thou My Vision," riches I heed not, nor man's empty, empty praise. praise. Uh, sorry, keep going. No, that's great. Um, here's where it gets a little dicey. Okay. Um, then you came along and put me back together. So it so it just so it just had said I searched the world and I couldn't but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, the treasures that fade are never enough. Right. And now it says. So you're feeling empty. Okay. But why do you need to be put back together? Right. So out of are you empty and broken? Yeah. That's interesting that they would use put back together right. after you were the one looking for the looking for the world. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So then it says, what else? Well, I want to spend a little bit of time on that line. Okay. Put me back together. All right. So when I think about being put me back together, I'm thinking it's, I, I almost picture like a teacup that gets got shattered. Yeah. 
um, and that we need to glue all the pieces back together. Right. So what we're saying is that if, you know, if my relationships are bad, if my work situation is bad, if, if I've got all these parts of me that feel like they're just these pieces that are broken, God's going to put them all back together for me. Mm. That's kind of the impression that I get, right? The thing about it is, is I feel like in our culture today that we have this idea that, yes, we are broken, but I feel like we don't go deep enough in our brokenness. What do you mean? To understand, well, I feel like, I feel like with the idea of broken, I feel like people can very easily get the idea that, that we just, as humans, we just make mistakes. Yeah, that's a good point. But it doesn't delve into the fact that we are all completely wretched sinners separated from God because of our sin. Right. That's actually kind of confusing because um, you're, you're saying it, you're, you're essentially saying that we're not actually as bad. As bad off. Right. Because I'm trying to think of where in scripture I've ever seen broken. Right, like the state well, that we're the in. Well, there's the brokenhearted. Yeah, but that's but not that's, that's not, not broken. That's not the condition we're in. Exactly. So it's what's actually. I think what you're touching on is something I've never. even, This is kind of the first time I'm even thinking about this, Cliff. No, me too. It's is good. Um, saying broken um, as a state that you're in before Christ coming and saving you is not biblical. No, it's not. No. Because mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Dead is different than broken. That's exactly right. right. And then the, the thing, the, the um, analogy you're using of the tea, cu- the, the tea, uh, wow, cup. Yeah, the tea cup. Right? Mm-hmm. Is you're putting it back together. That's not biblical either because Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. creation. So if you want to use the analogy, you're actually a whole new tea cup. See, the thing about it is, too, is the idea of broken means that at one point you were whole. Exactly. Yeah. And we never we never were. Yeah. There's there's a difference than when when scripture says when he brings us back to his fold. Right. You know, when when he the shepherd, the good shepherd goes and gets the one lost sheep and brings him back to the fold. Right. That's different because uh, it's it's poetic, but we never were really alive before. Right. So and the same thing was we. We weren't in the fold in the sense of we were still dead. We were enemies to the Lord, and he brings us to back to the family, and he brings us back to him, not insinuating that we at one point were actually still in the family, and then we went away for a little bit in sin, right? Like, exactly. no, we were dead running towards the world, and then God came and got us. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. In- it's interesting that it says – it doesn't thematically for me, just as a songwriter – Mm-hmm. I'm, you, when you said that lyric, because I'm not super familiar with this song, I'm looking at the going, where did you, where did put me back together come from? Right. You know? And how does him putting us back together fulfill all of our, des- satisfy all of yeah. our desires? Like, because I can see a lot of par- um, parable of the lost son, right, in this, like the prodigal son in this. I can see that you searched mm-hmm. the world, come, you know, and I, I was looking at everything and then you came along and put me back together. But that just doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, and then every desire is now satisfied here in your love. It, Every time we talk about hearing your love, I just don't know what that means. What what does it mean to be satisfied in his love? Does it mean that his love satisfies me? Mm. Like that's yes, yes. Being loved by the Lord is is yeah. we can be satisfied in that because we know that we're loved by God. We don't need to be loved by the world or by right. other people, right? That's how people in bad marriages 
can get through it because they know that God is still there and he's their sufficiency. He is going to hold them fast. He's going to love them, right? He is near to the brokenhearted. Right. Um, but every, de- every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Well, and it goes back to the, it goes back to the idea that we have people in our congregations every Sunday that don't have a relationship with Christ. It's true. What is their definition of love? Yeah. Yeah. The world's definition. It is totally the world's definition of love, which isn't God. So it's someone who's going to comfort me and meet my Mm -hmm. needs and, and, you know, all these different things where we have to understand that when we talk about God's love, his love, the, the whole purpose for his love was to satisfy the, 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 um, separation that our sin, um, caused us to be separated from God. Yeah. That is the whole, his, pur- his his love isn't there to comfort us and make us feel good. Mm-hmm. Its sole purpose is to satisfy that, the, the sacrifice that he made, the love that he demonstrated was specifically to, re- to restore that relationship between man and God. Yeah, Sorry excited. about that. I know I got excited. I started talking with my hands. <laughs> I thought I was the Italian. No. And so we have to understand too that God's definition of love or is very different than American culture's yeah. definition of love. And we've touched on that already with, mm-hmm. with Waymaker. Okay, yep. so um, let's keep going. So you look at the next second verse. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Okay, so um, I, this is some, this is a theme that I don't really get in, in the Christian culture. Like, uh, I'm not afraid to show you. Like, God's not afraid of my doubts and stuff like that. It, I, I get it. Um, but it's once again, it's that very me centered, right? Totally I, I'm going to show you my stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Okay. You still call me friend. I'm just going to say this. When scriptures talks about being a friend of the Lord, one, it's always, it's referring to specifically Abraham um, in that you see Abraham. Uh, James talks about how Abraham was a friend of God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, James 2, 23, and he was called a friend of God. It doesn't say that we are friends of God, right? Right. Isaiah 41, 8, but you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you, descendants of Abraham, my friend, right? That's specifically still just talking to Israel. So, right. so how do you justify that too within the New Testament where it says you were once enemies with God? Right. Enemies, so we're once enemies, but now Christ doesn't say friends. We're co-heirs. We're we're right. uh, we're not just we're not friends. We're sons and daughters. Exactly. And I, I like that he does that instead of that. Right. 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 The Ephesians one. He says we you've been adopted as sons and daughters in his good in his good will. And I love it. And, and one translation says his kind intention mm. was to adopt you, yeah. to predestine you, to choose you. I love mm. I love that. Um, and so that's that's even better than a friend. Right, right. I, exactly. And so, but the problem is when you sh- you're just looking at him as a friend, it's n- it's I don't it just it doesn't it doesn't carry the same weight. I would if it's, even if they would have yeah. said, "You've seen them all, and you still call me child." Well, that's one more biblically accurate, yep. and two carries more weight. Anyway, you were going to say something. Sorry. Nope. Nope. That was it. So, because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Okay. So obviously, there's you have hills and valleys, mountains. Mm-hmm. You have mountaintop experiences where things are good. Yep, and you have valley experiences where things are rough. Like that's that's true. Nothing wrong with that. There's there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Okay, I get. I think that thematically is going with the mountain and the valley part. Right. That's fine. That's yep. that's fine. That works. And uh, so the chorus is: There's nothing better than you. Nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. 
And oh. again, there's nothing better than you. There's right. Nothing better than you. <laughs> there's nothing better than you. A lot of repetition you. here. Uh, I think I'm seeing a theme. <laughs> okay, so here's one thing just from my perspective. Um, n- so this isn't me just as a pastor. This is me as a pastor of music and as a singer-songwriter myself. I'm not the best in the world, I'll admit it, okay, as far as writing songs. But the song needs to make sense thematically, right? Mm-hmm. I need the lyrics from the verse need to push push me, sorry, into the chorus. Right. I, I need to be right. pushed into the chorus to then scream out there's nothing better, right? So uh, talking about how the world does can't find – that's good. And you put me back to it. It's, it but it's not – I'm not as captivated by it because it just still feels kind of – you know what we're doing what we've many other songs have said right right um all right so let's go into the bridge because i want to be good about time and then we'll we'll look at we'll look at the three criteria uh and then we'll we'll end it okay so um why don't you take the first part first is that you turn mourning to dancing Mm -hmm. you give beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory what does shame to glory mean i literally have no idea i don't (sighs) i mean i Go ahead. No, so morning to dancing, you've heard that. Yeah, it's in um, scripture. Right, beauties to ashes. Yep, same thing. So, he, he, listener, here's what I'm trying to let you know. I'm I'm not thinking about this, and I'm trying not to do this too. And I, I try to make sure I do this a lot. I don't look at it from the the perspective of myself as as a pastor in ministry, grown up in the church, know my Bible, um, not nearly as well as other people, but I, I know what s- most songs are alluding to. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the perspective. Of a non-believer, okay. Turning that's morning a good worship pastor right there. Thank you. Turn, stop it. <laughs> Turn morning into dancing. I think I would know. Maybe I think I've heard this before, but maybe not. Beauties for ashes. The more poetic you get in songwriting, the less uh, that uh, a, wor- a non-believer can understand. Right. They may feel the music and mm-hmm. feel the melody, but they're not going to understand it. And, and right. then when you get to well, shame and to sorry, and the more you don't understand, the more they interpret subjectively. Exactly. So when you get to shame and the glory. As a non-believer, what does that even mean, right? So, are right. you saying are you saying that uh, that shame I felt for sleeping with my girlfriend isn't actually bad, right? You're just gonna take right. that, right? Yep. What, so the apostle Paul is rolling in his grave, going, "No, by no means, you don't keep on sinning." But I'm going, "Well, you turn shame into glory, right?" Or I shouldn't feel bad for the things, and and or okay, so the, the next one, you turn graves into garden, you turn bones into into armies, you turn seas into highways. Okay, non-believer glasses on, right? Okay, actually, as a, as a believer, graves in a garden. I don't even yeah. know what that means. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. But as a believer, I get bones and armies. That's Ezekiel, right? Sure. Yep. Um, there, and and you turn seas into highways. That's the Red Sea being parted, right? Okay, nerd, my nerd musician, uh, my nerd worship musician guy. I, right now, there's a big, uh, and I've told you guys before. I, I love to watch the trends. Uh, ar- bones and armies is a big one right now. Everyone loves to throw in there to talk about, you know, you're throwing some Old Testament illusions in there right. um, but it, it, it has nothing to do with today uh, but okay fine it's alright you know you can use that but graves into garden I do not I, as, even as a believer I don't really know what that means and what we've talked about before is clarity is key you clarity. must be clear you cannot have any opportunity for interpretation to be false yes it's going to happen but if you willingly are putting this before your church knowing there is a ton of ambiguity uh, and, a, and a ton of vagueness for, to these lines, right? For the non-believer and the believer. As so as a non-believer, I'm lucky. I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen? So God allows daisies to grow on top of grave no, markers? And then to seize into highways. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so as, my, as a pastor, 
my verdict. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, let's go through it. Uh, is it Christ exalting? No, not really. There's no Je- there's no Jesus here. There's no mention of anything. The irony is it only says Lord and God a few times. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of U's, um, which isn't necessarily bad. Okay, so not not doesn't doesn't pass the Christ exalting. What about gospel centered? No. No, there's no redemption. There's no justification there's or redemption. No, right. It, th- there was no payment. There's no payment for sin. Sorry. There's right. no. There's no payment for sin. I don't see it. I see being I put either. back together. Right. And that's that's about it. That's the only illusion. And that, even that's that's very vague. Okay. It's a stretch. Yeah. Congregationally friendly. Yes. Yeah. It's it's high. And the original key is pretty high. Yeah. And you're you're making your church sing a lot of uh, the nothing better than you. You're you're kind of mm-hmm. yelling it out. Yelling it uh, out. Mm-hmm. I searched the world. Yeah, that's not bad. I think it's singable. Yeah. Okay, so it's congregationally friendly. Wow, three in a row that are congregationally friendly, but uh, Christ is yeah, going to gospel center. Or gospel center. So as, as a pastor, oh my gosh, I'm killing my mic here today. As a pastor, Pastor Joel, I would not do this as a church. Just It's just it's too vague. Now, once yep. again, like I said, like we said with, um, with Waymaker, in the right context, this would be good. If you can fill in a lot of those gaps, that's be good. I think it's a good private worship song. I think it's a good song to sing on your own, uh, but I, I don't think it's it's a good song to sing corporately. Yeah, I'd uh, have a harder time with this one than I would Waymaker. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, if you have any suggestions or questions or comments, email them to theologyandmusic at gmail.com. Uh, but guess what? There's nothing better, better than, than you. you.